Hello and welcome to another edition of Off Topic. I'm David Rains. We're going to be talking today with my friend Miguel Rodriguez and talking about his Horrible Imaginings Film Festival. It's been a little over a year since we last did a podcast for Off Topic. It's going to be a little more intimate this time, just me and Miguel. And so let's just dive right into it. It's been a long time. It's been a while. It's been, oh, it's only been a little over a year. Is that a while? I think a year and two months or something. Is, is that a, a long time in that, pop culture terms? It, yeah, in <laughs> pop culture terms. The whole franchises would be birthed and died in that period. Uh, didn't like eight Marvel movies come out <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so, so we are here to talk about you. Like, about me. About you. It's about all, me. It's about, all about you. No, no, no. It's about what I've created. Which is the same thing. Oh, yes. You're a monster, as yes. it were. So this topic is going to be about the Horrible Imaginings Film Festival, or as I like to refer to it, the Horrible Imaginings International Film Festival, as it should shortly be called in my estimation. It, it, uh, yeah, it should be called that now. I have submissions from about, last count, 37 different countries. Wow. Yeah. Well, we're going to get to that. Okay. But first, I'm going to do the whole history of, we're going to do this Superman the movie style, starting okay. the backstory. So I'm going to come out of a craft in my uh, little yeah, boy pants. True, and... but we're going to have you in a loincloth, so. Okay. Because <laughs> I need to be able to see in the morning. <laughs> so number one, let's talk about you. Tell me about your interest in horror. What sparked that? I was born into it, I would say. I guess uh, it, it's hard to put the beginning because it's likely the beginning came before my memory, my long-term memory started forming. There's a story I've told on my own podcast that I've probably told several times since then about uh, my parents leaving me to be looked after by my grandmother, my grandmother on my mother's side. And they got home early from whatever date they were on, snuck into the house and heard her voice. Oh good, you know, well I was telling Miguel's story. And they go in and they want to listen and they hear my grandmother telling me about someone hacking off someone's head and blood spurting out of the neck. I think I was three years old. That's awesome. Yeah, Your and, grandmother's awesome already. <laughs> yes, this is true. I've had a lot of conversations lately, particularly since I've been programming the Un Mundo Extraño for the Latino Film Festival, that Latino culture, whether or not they admit it, is big on not maybe not the horror genre in films, although that is true, but ghost stories and that kind of horror-centric oral tradition, and that definitely started with me. Now, my mom liked horror monster movies, and all of her brothers and sisters did, so I grew up on them. They would, I think, especially her, her brothers, my uncles, would like to get away with showing me things they shouldn't, so... Okay, so what's the most scandalous thing that they got away with showing you? The most scandalous yeah. was probably Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. How old were you? When it came out. So I was it's I was eight, a little bit older than that time. Uh, ten? Ah! <laughs> I have not finished watching that film, but I can imagine that for a impressionable ten-year-old. Yeah, it was, it was quite horrifying. Here's what's it's really, really, really sad. My experience of watching Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, what stuck with me most was it was on VHS of course the VHS that it came out with on the time had a preview for a movie called Death Spa 
<laughs> and it was the preview for that movie that stuck with me even more at the time than Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. I remember I remember something similar to that. It was called Deranged. It was Deranged. I saw from a movie called Deranged. I love I, that movie. Must have been like, I never saw the movie, <laughs> but I just saw the preview, and I just and I have and I have a vision, a visual of this, of course, young girl running, screaming out the front door while this whatever the hell it was comes to traipsing after her and at that time it scared the shit out of me like that little thing and, the sh- and I think I saw the preview recently yeah. I was like that was it That's I know exactly me. yeah it's so embarrassing to look back and think it's like oh Henry this really visceral really disturbing film but my 10 year old mind's I'm like death spa exactly exercise equipment yes I grew up with it now uh, I'm not finished sadly um well, why would you ever be? Why would I ever be? I'm not finished. <laughs> I don't see you being finished with horror. No, no, no. I'm definitely not finished with horror. But sometimes I feel like I am. And what I mean by that is the trappings of people's box of horror. Describe um, that. As a programmer, I get faced a lot with people telling me that they don't think certain things are horror films or... Or you get this a lot, particularly from people who are horror fans or, or of the horror community. Nobody in the audio world is seeing me put quotes around any of that. <laughs> but uh, They felt it. You'll get film recommendations and they're like, well, it's not really a horror movie, but... And I hate that. And I think this conversation that comes with people trying to define a genre, for me, seems intellectually stunted and irksome. Do you think it's possible to define a genre? I think I was having this conversation mm-hmm. recently with some friends of mine, and we said, well, everything is basically one genre. Yeah. It's drunk. Yes. And everything stems I from that. concur with that 100%. <laughs> yeah. and, and that's why I said I wasn't really finished when it comes to my background on this, is I have what sometimes I think is the fortune, but also sometimes I think the misfortune of having a background in classical literature and having written a thesis paper on how horror has infiltrated human storytelling since human storytelling has existed. And it's my thought process and all of that that makes me irk, you know, irksome about this whole box putting of, of genre. Now, the way I view genre now is it's just a marketing tool. And I'm not very... And it's an impossible one. Yeah, it's totally an impossible <laughs> one. It's an impossible one. It's a very creatively limiting one, too. So, yes. you know, like... I, like, do you categorize when you go to categorize your movies mm-hmm. and I try to find a genre I'm like yeah really mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we're we're in this new world now of Netflix and stuff where genres taking on these absolutely absurd titles they have every genre <laughs> but western yeah, what's no, going on in no, Netflix no it's not western it is uh, a lone man in a hostile <laughs> environment <film>. exactly <laughs> and so it starts with lockout oh, yeah. <laughs> yes oh yeah and recommended and for you works. and it yeah. works that's a western certainly what are some of the misconceptions of horror well I have as a genre but just in general see alright either movies so or literature or paintings it's or hard it's hard for me to say misconceptions because I don't think people are wrong when they say, you know, a movie is a horror film. But I, I do think that it is just... The way I look at things is what ultimately is the filmmaker, the creator, the author trying to express, trying to say? What are the themes? And if the themes satisfy my personal need for catharsis that I, again, personally seek in what I always deemed a horror film, then it fits for me. And so that can be really, really broad. 
That's true. Yeah. I think I remember having this argument when it came to movies like Hostel, because it would always mm-hmm. break down to this argument of, it's not horror, or it's not scary, and someone would inevitably say, well, if you were in that situation, you'd be scared. And I'd yeah. say yes. But if I were a hostage on the 30th floor of a building and John McClane was trying to save me, I would be scared too, but Die Hard does not strike me as a horror film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and I guess, you know, if I if I really had to pick it apart, which I do, you know, it is the the negative parts or the, the, the struggles of the human condition. If they are at the fore of the theme, then it's a little more horror-esque. Or I can even be nice to people and say, of interest to horror fans. I guess that's kind of what I mean. When it comes to being a horror fan, exactly. what are the misconceptions? And, and of horror films, not what fits in the genre, what doesn't fit in the genre, but sort of the perception of horror. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I think I think in ter- if we're if you're going to talk to someone on the street who doesn't know the genre very well or what they think a horror film is, then they're probably going to think of slasher movies because they have had a la- lasting impact on what people deem as horror for for decades now, and maybe not just slasher movies, but just the idea of the semi-clad woman running what you've described for deranged right. actually exactly. And that being it. And in fact, I was having a conversation uh, with a group of people recently and describing some of the films that I've shown and some of the ones that I'm looking at now. And I did get a lot of this, well, is that really a horror movie? I'm like, it would be scary to me. And I had another conversation, too, about Un Chien on the Low because I recently, well, not recently, this is a few years ago, actually, but I showed for UCSD as part of a, a horror package over the years. And I showed that short, and I had someone else, I'm not naming any names, but I had someone else (laughs) say something to me, well, it's like, well, I don't think that's a horror movie, I think it's surreal. And I'm like, well, surrealism expresses a lot of really potent and visceral things that scare people, and that one in particular is very disturbing and terrifying. Well, one of the most popular movies, horror movies of all time, is The Shining, which is absolutely a surreal film and does it have a a through line sure but you Mm -hmm. can't look at the shining and not have that surreal feeling exactly yeah i think surrealism and and horror are tied just like i think science fiction and horror are tied science fiction is another one that people like to separate a lot and and a lot of times they can be but a lot of times they can't a lot of times they're very close cousins um, yeah, you can go all the way back to Frankenstein for that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely you can. Frankenstein is an interesting one because it, it really treads the line between the gothic and, and the science fiction. But when science fiction came into real fruition with a name, mostly they were horror stories, you know. There was a lot of fear behind them, a lot of paranoia behind them. Like what examples? Oh, like War of the Worlds? Yeah would be an example that comes immediately to mind. If I'm going to think of film, I'm going to think of Think From Another World. Mm. I'm going to think of uh, Them. I'm going to think of, <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, Forbidden Planet even has a lot of horror elements. That's even though, true, it, though. The yeah. Monster on the Loose. The Monster and that on the Loose. And that also includes the, the surreal horror, yeah. the, the internal monster on the Loose. And, of course, The Tempest, which is what it's based right. on. Which a lot of people will ask me what some of my favorite horror stories are, and I'll name a few, but I'll inevitably name a lot of Shakespeare. Yeah, um, it's hard not to look at Titus Andronicus and not think of absolutely. Hannibal. Yeah, and it's fitting that Anthony Hopkins <laughs> was in Titus. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Titus Andronicus is one of the was one of the bloodiest plays ever. Yeah, it probably uh, still is. I think. Yeah, yeah. And so, what separates horror fans from other fans, if if anything? I think what separates horror fans from other fans, and this this is 
maybe a rash generalization. I, personally, it's hard for me to go into other people's minds, mm -hmm. even though I try to sometimes. This is going to sound terrible, but I think sincerity. <laughs> really? I think... Uh, you know what? I actually... Yeah. yeah, I believe... I buy that. Not I, for my own personal experiences with it. Right. Yeah. No, I know there are some people who are overly uh, sensitive and don't like horror films because they're too scared of them. And I'm actually rather jealous of those people. And I don't think that those people are being insincere. Mm -hmm. However, I do think that there is a significant population who is not sincere about their derision for the genre. And that's kind of what I was getting yeah. at. It's like, as an outsider coming into horror, and mm -hmm. of course my experience with Horrible Imaginings was the first film festival I mm -hmm. attended, and I'm like, why is that? I, you know, horror wasn't even my genre. Right. But I went into that with my own misconceptions, I thought. I was like, they seem to be incredibly non-judgmental. And partly because I think there is so much in that genre and so much variety and so many different ways to go about it. As long as that it makes you yeah. do that. And just a very, very, very welcoming and inclusive group. There are a couple of reasons for that. I've had this conversation a million times really? about, yeah, about the people in the horror genre being the most nice and inclusive people, uh, relatively speaking, particularly in Hollywood. And that's all anecdotal, but I do think it's true. <laughs> You actually described exactly my mission of Horrible Imaginings, which is A, to expand the definition of horror, B, to be inclusive and rec welcoming to people who might not. I don't, I'm not really interested in preaching to the choir. I'm really yeah. more interested in reaching out to those who maybe are curious, but have their own misconceptions, as you said. Horror curious. Horror curious, <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, having the opera panel two years ago was mm. one of the most fun things I've ever done. Having the neuroscientist last year, you know, that's kind of like how I like to, and I need to figure out what I'm going to do this year still, but I want to reach out to different audiences. I want to look at the genre in different ways and without trying to sound pretentious, although I hate the word pretentious because it's usually used by unthinking people who don't want to think. I want to talk about it in an elevated and more intellectual way. Then, Not just that was so cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, did you see the eyes come out? Whoa! Or <laughs> boobs? <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's a place for boobs. There's no, there's a place for the eyes coming out of the head evil, too. Look for a Fantasia or Evil Dead too. Yeah. one example of boobs and one example of eyes. Yes, and and both <laughs> which I am not looking down on at all. I just think there can be more to it. And if if someone is put off by boobs and eyes flying out of the head, there's other things for them. So how are you trying to elevate that conversation? I think by focusing on the themes of the films rather than what's on the surface, okay. per se. I think that helps to elevate it, provided there are themes there. Right. So I try to find films where there could be something more thematically interesting. So can you give me an example of a film that might be thematically interesting, but viewed as, say, pulp or schlock? One recent or that I've shown or, time, or in really. history. In history. Uh, one that the... Forbidden the Planet. <laughs> Forbidden Planet, okay. Yeah, Forbidden Planet is a, a perfect example, I think. Not just because they decided to adapt The Tempest as a, you know, 50s sci-fi in space film. But uh, 
because I do think the filmmakers actually got into the themes that are in The Tempest and applied them in that setting appropriately. Yeah, some very deep themes for a Saturday matinee sci-fi film. Exactly. Yeah. And if someone didn't really think about that, that's, you know, I could show that at Schlockfest at the library, which, and no one would bat an eye. Yeah, that's just another schlocky movie, but oh, there's something there, you know? I... I I don't know. I think people who haven't seen the film yes. might think that, but I think watching it, they might go, "Well, this isn't fun. <laughs> <laughs> this is way this is way too brainy than what I was yeah. expecting." No, that's true. I, I do get that a lot, actually. Yeah, it's like trying to watch, you know, trying to introduce somebody to you know who's a Star Wars fan to Metropolis or Blade Runner. It's, right, it's going to be a tough nut to crack. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's, that, those are actually really excellent examples. You have Star Wars, which has its own little, you know, uh, its own themes to it. Yeah. But but comparatively to something like Blade Runner, it's it's not. I think the they're different films. They're I very think, different, yeah. and and they have different agendas. Yeah. And they have yeah, and that's the other thing too. It's is there an intention? Actually, this is a really interesting conversation. Is intention <laughs> because sometimes a filmmaker doesn't have intention, but what ends up happening is the films take on a life of their own depending on how many people have a certain reaction to them and do you think that's true of both blade runner and star wars or are you thinking of i don't think it's true of either of them i think i think both those filmmakers had all their intentions and they were successful so we went from your interest in horror to something more solid which i'm assuming the monster out of the resort podcast yes which is now just horrible imaginings is that correct by two months okay yeah. So, oh, they were hand in hand, more or less. More or less. Yeah. Okay. So, what was the seed that make you go, "I want to do a podcast," and then jump from that into, "I want to do the film fest"? Or if they were simultaneous, what made you decide to go in that direction? They were almost exactly simultaneous. The direction. Okay. So, I moved to San Diego from Maryland in 2009, and I'm an educator. That's my day job. Right now I teach teachers, so I'm a resource teacher. An educator's educator. I'm an educator's educator, yes. Uh, and I love my day job. I, I'm actually quite quite fortunate that I have all these endeavors, but I don't view my day job as the misery I'm going through in order to fund <laughs> those endeavors, which a lot of people do. I actually i am very lucky to enjoy both facets of my life. But being one person in a new city and not knowing anybody was rather difficult. And... I joined a couple of writing groups when I moved here because uh, writing is something else I've been interested in, although unfortunately in recent years it's taken a back seat. But I noticed as I joined various writing groups, including one that was kind of genre focused, but it was always sci-fi, uh, and, and a couple that were more interesting to me, which was no genre base, just writing. But I did notice that almost everyone I, I met, I was not able to talk to about this stuff. So either because they thought it was beneath them or they just didn't know or what have you. And the genre has always been a big part of my life. So I started the podcast as a way to have the conversation, even if the conversation was with myself, (laughs) because I was alone doing the podcast. And I still, for the most part, do the podcast alone, although I have guests every single episode. Um, What is it you used to say at the beginning of the podcast? What was the purpose of the podcast? Discussing horror and art film literature and beyond. Yeah. Art history literature film and beyond. Funny that film is always last on that list. And just because it's so inclusive in everything I do, it ends up being the thing I talk about most. What's the most easily accessible? It's the most easily accessible. Yeah. Um, my, my, my nod toward literature has come from the Storytime editions, 
where I get to discuss a little as well as read some of the books, uh, read some of the stories as long as they're public domain. Mm. Don't sue me. <laughs> but uh, but I've been able to talk about some interesting things like Anne Radcliffe as being an unrecognized scion of horror and things like that. And also expanding the definition of horror. Um, one of my favorite episodes is about fairy tales. And the reason I wanted to do that episode is I had a filmmaker want to submit her film. And she said, but it's not a horror movie. It's more like a fairy tale. I'm like, what are you kidding me? Fairy tales are the most horrific yeah. things ever. They're not called uh, Grimm's for, exactly. for, for, by accident. <laughs> and of course, her fairy tale was a terrifying little short film. <laughs> That's where I start to get these ideas of, of what I'm going to discuss. But yeah, I did a couple of episodes that are just me. And I still do that occasionally. But it's, it's very, very rare now. And I've been able to realize over the last few years what I am more interested in. And, and so I have cut out some ideas. I don't know if I'm going to mention what I do cut out. Like, uh, uh, no, I'll mention it. What the hell? <laughs> um, yeah, filmmakers promoting their movie. I don't really talk to them anymore. Um, well, what do you mean? Like, unless <clears throat> oh, you're talking about for your podcast? For the podcast, oh, I'm talking I about see, the podcast see, specifically. Okay. Yeah, um, if a filmmaker has a film, mm -hmm. but is articulate about something more interesting, we'll talk about a topic, and then I'll include their film in the podcast as I mentioned. But that's not going to be the topic of the podcast, because okay. that's just not interesting. I mean, it's a terrible thing to say, but, you know. Well, no, just, you don't want to be just a shill for someone. I, that's I've precisely heard you, right. Now, I've heard you talk about people and their films, and that's because you are genuinely interested in what the film yeah. is. You're and what there. the film has to say. Yeah, you're not doing yeah. this, the typical celebrity interview. Right, yeah. I don't like I don't like being an advertisement. <laughs> it's in, full in full disclosure, Miguel is a friend of mine, <laughs> um, and we are here to talk about his upcoming horror film festival, and not, but not just because of advertising. I think it's I think it's something that's not been done in San Diego before. And that's kind of why I wanted to bring it out there to my yeah. audience of two. Thank you. <laughs> um, hopefully I can increase that number by sharing that, I hope. So um, going back to that, what inspired you to start the film festival? Okay, so about, I did say two months. I should say two months between when I started the podcast and, and the conception of the film festival. Mm. So I started the podcast. I did a couple of topics. And a couple of those topics involved wanting to go see some new original independent horror films. And uh, by the way, as, as an aside, horror is an interesting genre that I think of kind of like garage rock in that <laughs> it seems to be the independents that kind of understand it or get it a little more than, say, the studios do. And it also seems to be the number one way to get your foot in the door as a new filmmaker. It does seem like it, yeah. yeah. Because it has a broad... Strangely, it has the most broad appeal for independent film, although not for mainstream film. Hence my <laughs> use of the word sincere earlier. There's yeah. a lot of lying people out there who say they hate this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. And it's interesting because the results of that are twofold. There are people who uh, use this genre to try to get their foothold into filmmaking in general and come to it with the assumption that it's a throwaway, easy genre, and their films are horrible. Mm -hmm. And then there are I people... I can imagine. Sorry. <laughs> a horrible imagining. Like, hey, boom, well said, well done. No, keep the puns coming. The, the film festival is named after a Shakespeare line, and Shakespeare thought puns were brilliant, so let's just go with it. Give us the line. <laughs> 
Oh, present fears are less than horrible imaginings. And I can explain I can explain why I love that line um, when, when we get to that. But, okay. Well, so I, I, I want to go out, and the best way to experience a lot of these films is to go see them at a film festival, particularly the short films, because that's really the only way you're going to see them, or even hear about them for that matter, which is kind of unfortunate, but that's the reality. There are a ton in L.A. You know, go up, I went up to um, Shriekfest and the Screamfest and... Mm, who knows monster fest but, you know, <laughs> evil butts fest whatever evil butts fest There's, is pretty wicked I wish I'm gonna start that <laughs> and then I think the one that finally did it is it was the first year of a film festival that's now defunct called the Viscera Film Festival oh that's no longer it's no longer. Oh. There is uh, a couple of those filmmakers. I'm going to give, give them a little plug here, actually, because they're good friends of mine. A couple of the organizers, uh, Stacy and Heidi, have done an offshoot of it that's still going called Etheria. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reason they rebranded is because it's more than horror. It's uh, It focuses on women directors of a variety of genres, but still genre. But the ones that you don't think of as women. So sci-fi, action, horror. Um, so they rebranded to be more inclusive of different genres. But Viscera itself is no longer. Anyway, one of the reasons I was kind of inspired by that, first of all, I went there and it was kind of what you described mine as being. I um, met people and everybody was immediately inclusive and, and I made a lot of friends that time. And it was at a small theater in L.A. called the Downtown Independent and it just seemed doable. And... I went and I was like, why the hell do I keep driving up to Los Angeles? It's kind of a pain. <laughs> and I look, I'm looking on San Diego for anything of any similarity whatsoever. And there's nothing. I was like, oh, there's, there's a need, I think. I'm looking at film festivals in general. I actually went to um, a couple of films at the Asian Film Festival in Pack Arts now. And um, I did sign up to volunteer for the Latino Film Festival way back when, although... That immediate time didn't pan out because I didn't have time. So I was aware of other film festivals, but I was also aware that there was a distinct lack of genre films at those film festivals. Not so much now. <laughs> Interestingly, <laughs> right after my film festival happened. but uh, Which was 2010, correct? 2010, okay. yeah. So this is going to be year five, but festival six coming up. Mm-hmm. So um, that that's it. That, I was like, well, there's a need for it. I don't see anyone else trying to do it. And so I just decided to do it. And so how did that process come about? So what was your first step? My first step was coming up with the name. Ah. Yeah. Well, actually, my first step was coming up with a mission and then coming up with the name. So tell me what your mission was. My mission was to explore the same as the podcast, to explore the genre. And so I saw exploring the genre as twofold. Spotlighting new films and reviving old films, looking at older films, repertoire cinema. That's been the mission of Horrible Imaginings ever since then. It's expanded a little bit to include art. So the first few, just because of the venue having the ability, had art gallery. I really kind of missed that, actually. And discussion. And and what I'd like to do in the future is a lot more time for panels and presentations. But that has been my, my mission, was was an explorative look at the genre, as well as elevating the genre and and disseminating it to different people. Then there was the name, one that I thought was unique and that I really liked. So, of course, I chose one that's kind of hard to say for some people. <laughs> I can see why. Mm-hmm. I, it, luckily for me, it, it rolls right off the tongue. It rolls right off my tongue, too. But sorry, Ben Mankiewicz. But Ben Mankiewicz <laughs> called it horrible imagings when I was interviewed with him on TCM. 
recently, which I love you, Ben, and I love TCM, but it's imaginings. <laughs> the Shakespeare quote. A lot of people don't want to talk about that or don't care to. So It's Shakespeare. I'm always interested. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> the Scottish play or Macbeth. Of all of Shakespeare's plays, it's the one that's probably most obviously a horror genre you know even though the horror genre per se didn't, didn't even exist titus definitely but macbeth has supernatural elements too so it lends itself really well the quote horrible imaginings it's an act one it's just after macbeth had his little run-in post-battle run-in with the three witches who foretold his destiny and of course he's thinking to himself well the only way this destiny can come to pass is if i murder king duncan and he's having these thoughts, fantasizing about murder. And when he comes to the, to the line, present fears are less than horrible imaginings, I've always taken that line a couple of ways. So the first way is the way that usually they teach in school, which is as afraid as he feels right now after seeing the witches on the heath and things are kind of creepy. It's not as creepy as what I'm thinking in my mind. You know, these present fears are less than horrible imaginings. But I, I also got this kind of dual meaning from it, which is that as afraid as he feels of his imaginings, he's trying to make himself less afraid. And I think he's trying to poo-poo it a little bit at that beginning. It's like, ah, I'll never do something like that. Like earthly know? fears are, are hardly ever, or earthly dangers are hardly ever as Realized. potent as what we can imagine. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And, and I think I think he kind of... He does kind of poo-poo the idea, and of course he, he's pushed into it a little bit by his wife, but it's always kind of fascinated me where the horror in our imagination and the horrors that we're capable of for real kind of coincide and live next to each other, and what is it about us as a species can keep those separate. And personally for me, in making horror films or writing scary stories or drawing scary pictures and making scary art, I find that as a way of exercising these things. Yeah. And in, in my opinion, that helps keep those two things separate. Whereas there's, there's this misconception that's very, very... False. False. <laughs> Not only false, but quite everywhere. That, you know, these kinds of things cause terrible things. Right, right. right. So, like, oh, you're, te you're, you're, you're teaching a serial killer how to kill. It's like, well, no. no. If a filmmaker can think of it, pretty sure a serial killer can too. Precisely. <laughs> Not to mention, I mean, if you look at this with any kind of reason or, or rationality, right. statistically speaking, movies, way more violent. Well, yeah. Crime, Right. People, well, and violent. people never think about the ridiculously absurd romantic comedy setups, which are almost always revolve around two people who lie to each other for two hours. That's right, and then fall in love at the end. That's so it's like somehow that's less damaging. Somehow that's less damaging, <laughs> exactly. But anyway, so uh, from those two words, horrible yeah. imaginings, and and more from the whole line, present fears are less than horrible imaginings. Uh, it I get me of, of I get reading all of that. the the synopsis for the Human Centipede two. And being absolutely just mortified, mortified, <laughs> and I'm like, who? Just why? And then I watch the film, and I'm like, it's so absurd yeah. that it becomes almost comedy. It does. It's like I'm not afraid because I, I, I guess it's the reality of actually seeing it and understanding the, the aspects of the, you know, the of filmmaking. It's going, this is just absolutely ridiculous. 
And then it becomes, yeah, and that's how you, that that's that catharsis. I you. have to give, yeah, there is some catharsis, and I have to give Tom Six credit in that I think he knows exactly what he's doing. Absolutely. Everything's so intentional. So tell me a bit about that first venue. So that was also the first year that I went. Yeah, the first, that in the first year, in the first year you went, which is, which, yeah, I'd, I'd like to hear about how you found out about that too. I think, well, I think you and I met at the Blacklight Film Festival. Oh, that is correct. And, I, and that yeah. was the first film festival I'd gone to, and I don't know why I went, quite frankly. But I was fascinated by mm. some of the films that were there. And yeah, I, they had I, a nice selection. And you mentioned that you were doing think. I, I think I met you there, and I met Beth there. Beth was there, yeah. The topic came up that there was going to be another film festival. Because after the Blacklight, I was thinking, I would like to see this again. Yeah, and Blacklight didn't come back. Okay, uh -huh. so then you decided to add art into your horror film festival. I did, but that came as a matter of it fit the the the, the theme of expanding the message and and uh, giving something else to talk about, and a matter of convenience because the theater had a gallery. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I'll have to admit that as well. Tenth uh, Avenue Theater was the first venue, and that came about because it was during Comic Con. Yeah, during Comic Con, which was roughly two days after I had the idea to do a film festival, I went to, I stumbled upon the 10th Ave, and I don't even remember why, but there were flyers there. They were going to show a, a movie, and I was amazed because it was a movie called President's Day, directed... <laughs> That film. Directed by a friend of mine from Baltimore. And I was like, holy crap, you're showing Chris's film. And I'm like, oh, yeah, apparently. It's small world. Well, I was just so, going to say, if, if, if you haven't seen President's Day, <laughs> let me just, and you're a fan of, you know, Friday the 13th and April Fool's Day and the, you know, day of the year subgenre <laughs> of horror, President's Day is a, a wonderfully low-budget Love letter. Yeah, it was made for like films. one of those made for like two grand movies. Oh yeah, but, but clever and it, and enough it to shows, get over But it, yeah. you know, it's very it was very clever still yeah. in its way. Yeah, Chris has a little has a good head on his shoulders for this kind of stuff. So they were gonna show it. I'm like, holy mackerel! There's a theater in here. I'm like, well, we're kind of just rigging it. And I said, like, okay, and they showed it, and nobody nobody came. I was like, well, I guess I'll try showing it at my film festival too. Why not? So I, I talked to the guy who was there, and he put me in touch with the owner of the theater, and uh, the rate was very, very good. And Jeff, the owner of the theater, has always been a stellar gentleman. Um, and so the first three years were at the 10th Avenue Theater, and it had a lot of benefits being there. Um, number of seats is decent, especially for a starting theater. How many uh, seats were there at that venue? I don't remember. I got about 125 with adding seats. Okay, so there were there a lot of There are seats there. fewer now, though, because yeah. they have refurbished it. Oh, there are fewer at the 10th Avenue Theater. There are fewer at the 10th Avenue now than there were at the 10th Avenue then. Okay. But there are still more at the 10th Avenue now than there are at the Digital Gym Cinema now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll talk, about the, we'll talk about the change yeah. of venue. Yeah, so it had a decent number of seats for a first-time Although I did sell out years two and three, which is really astounding to me now. And, and Miguel just blows that off. Yeah, you know, I, I sold out years two and three, clearly. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I didn't mean for it to sound like that. <laughs> no, I just thought it was funny. I, it kind of blows my mind. I, I, I can't believe I, well, I guess I can, but. Well, talk about the reception. I don't know, are we jumping ahead? Because I was thinking, what was the reception to that first year? The reception was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it was better than I was hoping. And the first year was an, a very big success, in my view, because 
well, frankly, everybody suddenly knew who I was, and everybody really liked it. And, and what and, and what were you wearing that first day? Was I in the suit that you first day? You were in day? the suit. Yeah, I was. Where I looked like I was at a business convention or something. I yes. was, I was in a total suit with a tie and all that stuff. And did I have the cane? You had the cane. I had my Larry Talbot cane. You had the presentation going on. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I want to get more into dressing up more. I need I need to bring that back. That's actually. what I'm always saying. You know. You know hammering about the cane. You gonna bring the cane? Yes. (laughs) I love the cane. People love the cane. That was fun. Anyway, I liked it. I think the first year was a perfect first year. It had a great Halloween vibe to it too and I believe it came the year uh, the the week after Halloween. Yeah, it was November 4th or something like that. Yeah. Which my whole thing with that is Halloween's not over. We're keeping it going. And it worked because Halloween, you know, we, we were able to carry it over. Yeah, and, and had all the decor. And people were kind of done with their parties or whatever the heck they do on Halloween. <laughs> yeah, and right, Beth had all those awesome, and, and Beth has always been instrumental. Beth Akamando. Beth Akamando. Yeah. So not only with the accoutrements for the wall or whatever, <laughs> but her, the food and what she's come to call the killer confections. But uh, 10th Ave was great for that because it's an old building built in 1928. It's creepy on its own. It's called stained glass windows because it used to be a Baptist church. And we were able to use the roof at night. All the things. It's got the best take your life in your own hands elevator. Yeah. The <laughs> elevator is still from 1928. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of people are terrified of the elevator. I, I love it. I, beautiful. It's yeah. beautifully run down. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's absolutely perfect. So I, even talking about it now, I get a little nostalgic. But there were enough problems that I had to leave it, particularly after the last time I was there. I actually, this is something that I haven't said to anyone, but uh, after the last year I was there, I ended up having to go to therapy. And my therapist diagnosed me with post-traumatic stress disorder. No. Was this stress just because of the logistics of the Let's venue? see if you recall Saturday. I don't know if you were in there. Saturday we ran about almost two hours late because the projector didn't work. Uh, there were some projector problems, I remember. And yeah. I think that was Godzilla. Uh, the Godzilla did have projector problems, but it wasn't as bad as the following year. Okay. And, and I'm actually... Godzilla projected too dark. Mm. And that was that is also a problem that is endemic to that location. Mm. Here's the problem, okay? It's not built for for cinema, right? It's more much more stage. Yes, yeah. and by that I also mean there's no infrastructure for cinema. We basically built the screen. It's like, you know, a wooden frame with canvas stretched over it, and you have to rent the projector, which costs me a couple grand every year. Wow. And you don't get, when you rent a projector, you don't get it a week in advance to tech films, <laughs> right? You get it like the day of. Right. So year one was just a miracle. It went off without a hitch. Year two was okay, although that was Godzilla year. Mm-hmm. And then the third year, which was just an absolute travesty. So you not really remembering year three <laughs> makes me feel a little bit better. I mean, I think for most of the audience, it was, oh, they're running late, whatever, no big deal. For me, it was just hell on earth. I do remember you being a little stressed. Yeah, it was absolute hell on earth. And uh, I'm going to have to tell some of these stories without naming names. But (laughs) John Doe and Jane Doe. (laughs) No, (laughs) and it's not that anyone did anything wrong. I don't mean that. The projector just didn't work. And so I I had texts coming in. I ended up, yeah, I lost a lot of money that year. Renting the projector, getting the projector to finally freaking work. When it did work on Saturday, we got it working like by the skin of our teeth. With incorrect aspect ratio, incorrect luminosity, oh. uh, everything, everything kind of we we, ba- we just basically kind of like farted it through on Saturday. <laughs> now Sunday worked great. Why? Because Phil 
Lorenzo. Lorenzo let me use a projector. And it looked phenomenal. Yeah. So Sunday was great, but half the audience wasn't there. I don't know if it's because Saturday looked like shit, too. But Horror, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that was a horrible experience. I won't say horrible. <laughs> it was a terrible experience. And then, of course, one of the filmmakers did come and flew from a great distance mm-hmm. to be there and was not shy about voicing his displeasure over how the film looked right. on the Internet. Oh, ouch. yeah. And, uh, and of course, you know, I end up coming across it and there's like 60 million comments. And... Fortunately, nobody reads the Internet. <laughs> <laughs> well, at this point, of course, that whole ex- episode's forgotten. And for me, it was like the worst thing ever. And I even did a whole podcast on that about one. how disastrous that was for me. Well, yeah. yeah, that was a therapy-inducing year. Well, you seem to be doing much better now. Well, I left the 10th Avenue. Uh, <laughs> so the first year, one of the things that I was fascinated by, yeah. and, I, and I believe it was that first year, is you seem to have a theme of female directors. Was that the first year? That was the first year. That was the first year. And I loved that yeah. because one of my memories growing up of horror movies is watching Pet Cemetery, mm-hmm. And, of course, I'd read the book first. Yes. And so as the movie's unfolding, I know what's coming. And I'm just thinking, this filmmaker is evil. Because <laughs> <laughs> whoever this person is, ah, whoever Mary. this man yeah. is, is absolutely <laughs> evil for making you just fall in absolute love with this adorable little, little kid, kid and just knowing what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I was just like... Oh, it's a woman. Yeah. <laughs> and something in me, in me clicked, because I have three older sisters. Yeah. So I'm like, <laughs> something in me clicked, and I went, well, yeah, that makes sense. Women are evil. <laughs> I love you all. I love women, don't get me wrong. I love my sisters, but y'all are evil. <laughs> I think that women have shown in their filmmaking chops, those who, who have made films that are good, that they have a very different sensibility that they can bring that does a lot of the things I'm looking for in terms of elevating or looking at from new angles. And they probably could have been doing this for years and haven't really had the opportunity to do so. If you look historically and and see what women filmmakers have done, if they try to make something edgier, it's been really, really cool, but they've had to like fly under the radar. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking specifically of films. um, They're not horror films. However, they have horrific elements. Uh, Ida Lupino, did a lot of films like Outrage and The Bigamist that have these kind of edgy themes. Um, and in fact, it was po- um, post Hayes Code films, but they were B-movies, so they weren't as scrutinized. And she was able to tackle some, sometimes through innuendo, but tackle some interesting themes. And she has a dark side as a filmmaker. And I would have liked to see more Ida Lupinos out there. So yeah, that first film did have a lot of female filmmakers and was that the first year that you showed Dead Hooker in a Trunk? That was. That was, okay. That was Dead Hooker in a Trunk year. <laughs> yep. My, I opened the film festival, or didn't open, but the first year of the film yeah. festival uh, had Dead Hooker in the Trunk. I believe you closed it with that film. I, I did, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and of course, those the those directors um, are are doing quite well the for themselves now. The Saskatoon that we're speaking yeah. of, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they're doing well, and it's, it's cool. Every year I've actually had a, a decent percentage of female filmmakers. I do think that I have, and I look at a lot of film festivals, a greater percentage of female filmmakers than most film festivals. Yeah, and I was pleased to see that because they they turn out some good stuff. Because they have, they you know, just looking at it, they really force you to look at it from a different perspective. Yeah, sometimes it's a little heavy-handed, but sometimes it's really great. Like, I mean, one of my favorite filmmakers, and I'm just going to be a broken record for a lot of people, (laughs) I loved The Babadook. And I think yes, yeah, yeah, oh, um, yeah. You just did a podcast on that recently. I didn't, although I've oh, I been meaning to. Oh, no, okay. no, no. I've been meaning to a lot because yeah, the Babadook is one of those films where I say they, they took a kid that you 
desperately wanted to die <laughs> and then shockingly put you on his side yeah. and i was like how is that even possible <laughs> and I, I i think partly i think it's the director's chops is, yeah. is is really and not only se davis's performance too i think it it comes from a very integral look at that mother-son relationship, mm-hmm. especially in the Babadook, because it's not a typical mother-son relationship at yeah. all. Well, it's not a typical horror movie either. It's not, yeah. and that's why I love it. And that's one of those ones where like, well, can you really call it a horror movie? Hell yes! Absolutely. Yes, you can. Yes. <laughs> this is like, childbirth is a horror movie. <laughs> no. <laughs> and it's interesting because I think one of the most iconic horror films, say, of the, at least of the 20th century, and starting out the 20th century, mm-hmm. is American Psycho, mm-hmm. uh, Mary Heron. And Mary everybody Heron. keeps going back to yeah. To, um, it's more Christian appreciated Bale. now than yeah. it was then. Oh, it was virtually ignored. Yeah, then. yeah, yeah. It, it, I find it interesting, this renaissance of American yeah. Psycho. Well, that happens a lot with horror films, especially yeah. with films that oh, yeah. are ahead of themselves. Mm-hmm. Which is funny for a 2000 movie that's lampooning the 80s to yeah. be ahead of itself. <laughs> it's so backwards, but it is very ahead of itself. It's consider- probably because of that, that that it's partly ahead of itself, too. Well, because of cycles. Because, because yeah. now the cycle, we sort of experience that eight years later yes. <laughs> again and I think John Carpenter had that same experience with mm-hmm. The Thing and that's another one of those things that we were talking about about transcending on yeah. the surface it's just a gory horror film right. but it's very esoteric not esoteric is existential yeah, yeah. very existential I love The Thing and uh, we talked about Thing from Another World or mentioned it briefly yeah. earlier in this I love I think Thing from Another World and The Thing are perfect mirrors of each other from their the time in which they were made. Yeah. So uh, the thing from another world is so like almost you could say pro-American band together <laughs> defeat the outsider whereas John Carpenter's the thing is the precise opposite yeah. of that. <laughs> and uh, I I think it's it's really fascinating. It's interesting. I think you could draw that same parallel between the two versions, and I think there are only two. Uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. The oh, first yeah. one is very much a, sort of an anti-communist manifesto, mm-hmm. whereas the second one is sort of this this jab at the psychoanalytical culture yep. that had erupted in right. the 70s. Right, especially in L.A., yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love uh, Leonard Nimoy in that film. Oh, God, he's, he's fantastic. He's the, He's the, Especially when he becomes a pod person, then oh, he's just even better. He's even better. <laughs> how is how is he so brilliant in that movie? Yeah, you're right. He's 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 as great as almost everyone in that film. Leonard Nimoy just steals the show. Yeah, another example of a great remake, by the way. Yeah. And so, how many entries did you have the first year? Did you say not a lot? Uh, um, so the first year, I can't tell you the number of submissions I got because I don't remember. <laughs> but the first year was only one day, wasn't it? Yeah. The first Uh-oh. year? No, it might have been two. It might have oh, been Friday and two. Saturday. I think You're it was right. Two. Holy crap. Yeah. I'm getting old. Yeah, so your, that was very ambitious for a first year. It was. Festival, a, yeah. It was a two day festival. Because the black light was one night. It was. It was a couple like, hours. Screw that. And <laughs> it, was just, it was just like six shorts. Yeah. Yeah, there weren't any features. You're right. It was two days. You're right. It was two days because I had another theme. Uh, my themes, it was body and mind that first year and so the first oh, day was I all was always under the assumption that the the female filmmakers was the it was I, yeah. my idea was to highlight a lot of female filmmakers so that was also but it wasn't it wasn't like an esoteric theme so like one was uh body and the body and mind so mind for example the um throwback feature the retro feature was peeping tom michael powell's film and then for for body it was the beyond ben fulci <laughs> two films that couldn't be any more different right. But I love them both, and they express different things. 
And I noticed you're you're being more sort of deliberate about your themes lately. So the program last year, uh-huh. you had it broken down into three into three days with three. Each days. block was doing different. So things. one was zombies. Yeah. Well, Friday was zombies. That's Friday true. was zombies. And then what were the other two? So Saturday, Friday was zombies. Saturday, I had a whole mess of things that I had to kind of jam together. But it was uh, surrealism. I needed surrealism in there. I also had uh, exploitation. Oh, that's right. That was the day that I desperately wanted to go and I couldn't. I yes, so mad. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, exploitation and I, I forget something. Oh, I think like um, like uh, uh, ultra violence or something like that. Yeah. And then Sunday, I actually wanted to focus on the paranormal. And I think the reason I really wanted to do that: a, I got a lot of really good paranormal shorts. But b, there's this thing if you are within the horror community. I had this conversation on my podcast with the uh, organizers of Crypticon. I kind of did a little like uh, brotherly love podcast with them. It's in Seattle. It's a horror convention. And we had this conversation about there's these these cliques that sometimes form where all the gore hounds are like, oh, the people who like ghost movies are just wieners. And then all the ghost people are like, oh, you gore people are freaks and sadists. And it's like, oh, come on, guys. It's, it's all just. You don't have a clique? I personally do not. I, I, I'm the supernatural click. Yeah, now, I'm not the supernatural. I don't look down on the on the right the gore the gore. But you prefer the supernatural much. stuff. Uh, <laughs> but I prefer the supernatural. I, stuff, I which have... is funny because I'm not really a big <laughs> believer in the afterlife, and yet that's like my favorite sub. But that's probably of why, though. You know, yeah. like uh, Lovecraft, for all of his many many failings, he had a lot of really good ideas. So that's why my favorite thing he's ever written is supernatural horror and literature, because it's a really thought out treatise on what makes things scary. But he was. A materialist atheist and yet you know he's come to have this reputation of everybody thinks all this crap is real yeah on saturday i called him a kind of prototype l ron hubbard because <laughs> you'll still have these freaks who'll get that like six dollar necronomicon from crown books you're like i can't believe they have this here you know squidentology as i destroy <laughs> yeah squidentology as i destroy yeah, your table don't destroy my but uh sorry table but uh <laughs> anyway uh, the point no, this is this is Miguel getting excited. By I, the way, I which do. is the best thing in the world. To I see. do get excited about this. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny is, um, yeah. So, materialist atheist, and he has written in his letters to his contemporaries that he writes the weird fiction because it is his escape from what he deems as a completely banal and boring, terrible existence. Right. I yeah, don't... being killed by a axe murderer is horrifying, but not difficult to imagine. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, uh, he, yeah. And so, uh, while I disagree with with Lovecraft that we live in a banal and boring world, <laughs> can I can see why he has a fascination and reaches toward the the cosmic horror, you know, something something very anti material. It's similar to your fascination with the supernatural as um, someone who does not believe in it. Mm-hmm. Same with me. I, I mean, I, I also do not believe in the supernatural, but I love a good ghost story. Yeah. And, um, and they're hard to come by. A good one is very hard <laughs> to come very, by. Well, yeah. No, you yeah. can. Well, thank you. Thanks to Blair Witch, which I admit I liked. <laughs> but thanks to that, you have an endless supply of 
cheap thrown together found footage just trash. my least favorite it's and that's yeah. and you know if you go looking on netflix for something it's just like that, that's oh, my all friend. you're gonna find you don't see how many of those i get submitted oh, to i'm me. so sorry for you yeah but uh <laughs> i dislike the found footage genre at, uh, almost I dis- altogether i dislike any genre that's oversaturated that's and true. done on the cheap for a quick buck i did not see unfriended but from what i understand for all its failings it takes a gimmick and makes it work I actually haven't seen it either, and, and I and I feel a little bit guilty about that. I feel like I should, mm-hmm. because from what all I've read, it at least tries to think outside the box a little yeah. bit, and tries to be innovative with this new form of communication that we have. In the face of absolute naked derision, if you've watched the previews for that movie, everybody in the audience is just like, "Are you are you fucking kidding?" Yeah, me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is kind of brave. Yeah, you know? I, I would hate to see that work become a thing. But I, think, I well, I think that's the thing of anything that's yeah. that's um, I don't want to say new or but unique. Right. That's that unique. Once you've done it to death, mm-hmm. it's like going back to you know oh everything and everything in Shakespeare's a cliche. It's like yeah. no, it's a cliche now. Right. <laughs> yes. No. No. You're right. Yeah. It's become. It's developed into one. Yeah. Over. 600 years exactly yeah but uh, you gotta give them credit <laughs> yeah it's a long time to develop into a cliche also for me and one of the things if i have to defend my my dislike of found footage and what what i'm not gonna i'm going to attribute this to carol of the cultural gutter um <laughs> what she called the 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 horror verite or cinema verite of oh. horror I, especially for horror, I like things to not necessarily be so realistic, you know, like Argento or, so, or or even the Beyond Fulci. Now, I like a lot of things, but I prefer it if there is some artistic license with the environment in a horror film. Nothing frustrates me more in film, in general, mm-hmm. than someone saying, oh, it's good because it's realistic. Yeah, no. It's like, no, that's, in fact, why I'm bored to tears yes. by this film. If I want realistic, I'll stand on my porch and watch the I'm always happy when I find someone who, who agrees with that, because I can't believe, I am completely in agreement. Yeah, that's why I say one of my favorite people to do biopics is Oliver Stone, because mm-hmm. he doesn't trouble himself with facts. Yes, it's He troubles true. himself with telling a good story. It's true. <laughs> it's true. And, and as, you know, as long as people are honest about it, it's yeah. perfectly fine. Yeah, well, we got this whole thing now of based on a true story yeah. as a selling point. It's just like, oh, oh give me God. a break. Yeah, that's so dull. <laughs> I, I think um, I've said this on a podcast before, too. Uh, again, I'm quoting. This time I'm quoting Todd Statman, uh, who recently wrote a book called Funky Bollywood. He came on my podcast to explain why he likes kind of the bizarre cinema he does. And he literally said, and I guess I'll have to paraphrase, but I am distrustful of any film that purports to show something real <laughs> and uh because it's impossible because it's impossible yeah. ultimately you're an illusion you yeah. know and so and that's why i don't watch documentaries i'm, I'm sort of a i am mm-hmm. documentary pariah documentaries are <laughs> documentaries can be very can be there are some good ones documentaries can be very manipulative yeah yeah. Well, even when you agree with the theme, and that's what's, that's what's well, even worse. Well, those are the ones that I stay away from the most. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, I don't want to promote something that I wouldn't want 
for want of a better term, the other side mm-hmm. to do to me. Yeah. But let's let's talk about documentaries. So, what about horror documentaries? Have you seen some good oh, horror? I documentaries? Ha- I have I have seen a few good ones. In yeah. fact, I've shown a I've shown a few. Uh, I've gotten a bunch. <clears throat> oh my god, I shouldn't say any of that. I've gotten a bunch submitted. That's all I'm going to say this this year. This year. Oh, okay. Yes. Um, and I've had a long. That, that would be 2015 for the 2015. <laughs> I I've had a long conversation with uh, my selection community about whether or not to show them and we haven't decided anything yet but uh we have lots of conversations about documentaries as a thing to show now a couple of the ones i've shown okay i did show one documentary horrible imaginings and it was that awful year actually the year that put me in the damn hospital um but it was sunday so it looked good (laughs) it was a german documentary that was highly disturbing a little talking headish but uh, it was called Zero Killed. And uh, it, it. I missed it. Yeah. I saw the preview and I wanted to see it. It is a, fasc- it's a fascinating documentary. And recently, a film called The Act of Killing came out. Yeah. Which is also a very interesting documentary, but it's, it's probably more disturbing because The Act of Killing, rather than just having people reenact their fantasies of killing someone they're reenacting things they actually did which is awful but um <laughs> you know zero zero killed is very similar in uh in the act of killing in that the filmmaker interviewed a group of people from various walks of life different genders different nationalities different professions and had them be honest with themselves and with the filmmaker about whether or not they've ever had a fantasy about killing another human being mm. And the, those who had, he had them film a reenactment of, of the fantasy. And then I think he comes back seven years later and interviews them again to watch it and, and react to it. That's like another 7-Up series. Yeah, it's, yeah it is very, it's, it's X number of years. I don't remember if it's exactly seven, but it's several years later. But it's a really interesting documentary. Some of the reenactments are, are quite shocking. So do you have one that you would share? I have actually never fantasized about taking someone and murdering them. However, when I'm driving, sometimes I fantasize about having like a a, uh, air to land missile that I just blow the hell out of all the other cars. But I think it's because I'm looking at cars, you know, I'm not seeing seeing the the eyes of a human being. Have I ever really thought about like taking someone to a basement and string? No, I don't think I have. Oh, so at least we know what your scenario would be. Well, I'm pick- <laughs> I'm actually I think I'm picking one that was in the zero kill. Oh, okay. okay. Um, but <laughs> all right. So as we usually do, we've gone off topic. Yes, we have. Um, so you so you said you didn't have a whole lot of entries that first year. Like roughly how many? I'm gonna say roughly like sixty. Sixty, and you screened them all yourself. Oh yeah! In fact, every year I have. Yeah. Oh, every oh, you're the only one. The last two years, I would occasionally sit and have people with me. Okay. But every single year up until this year, I have sat and watched every goddamn movie. I've okay, had. so this year, or let's go last year because you've okay. only just sent out for submissions. Right. Last year, how many submissions did you have? Last year, I got three hundred and seventy-six. Wow! And you watched all of them. I watched every single one. And how how did that? Now, did that make you want to just stop doing the film festival? <laughs> in a way, yes, but in a way, no. There, there is a certain, <laughs> certain kind, <laughs> a certain kind of transcendence that happens when you go through a stack and things are not measuring up, and it starts to wear on your soul a little bit, and then you put one in, 
and it's glorious. And it's like, oh. Can I almost say that just about film going in general? This is, well, yeah, yeah, but 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 you know, to a very extreme <laughs> degree, it is film going, but to an extreme yeah. degree. Um, I will talk about this film because I still adore the hell out of it that I showed last year, um, which is um, Dead Hearts. Did you see that one? Describe it to me. It uh, it's a very uh, fairy tale like film from Canada uh, about a little boy who's a mortician. And oh, you need to see oh, this okay. film. Yeah, it nice. is so awesome. It is one of my favorite shorts I've ever I've ever shown. Um, and we had a Q and A with the director over Skype, but uh, and he's great. He's great, great guy. One of the best Q and As we've ever did too, because he was so much fun. Anyway, so everybody out there, find Dead Hearts. Uh, it's won a bajillion awards because it's really fantastic. Okay. But anyway, so that's that was one of those moments. Where and I'm gonna admit something that's really terrible here because I almost never do this, but I was having this moment sitting on the couch, going through films and feeling a little depressed, and that came on and I almost burst into tears, and I emailed the director immediately, and I was like, Stephen, I never email directors right away until it's time to announce selections, but you're in, man. This is one of the best things I've ever seen. <laughs> And uh, and he was very appreciative of that. But I, I usually try to, to. But that's a great feeling, isn't it? It's a great feeling. Like that, oh, it's a go. great feeling. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's that's happened a couple of times. Uh, there's a Spanish film Horizonte that I showed a couple of years ago, kind of a vampire esque film, but not like any vampire film you've ever seen before. Uh, also very just well shot and really well done, and uh, starring a daughter and her mother, and it's really good. So besides the Soska twins, who else have you screened who has gone on to do say major motion pictures i know styria was one that you had just talked about yes so uh mauricio Chernovetsky. he did styria which is currently on showtime mm -hmm. as well as on vod under the north american distributor title of angels of darkness <laughs> it's such a fascinating title and it's impossible to get that confused with any other film <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about that. Um, here's the important thing. It begins with the letter A. <laughs> oh. Oh. Thank you. For, yeah. That, that for would be clearing why. that up for yeah. me. Yeah. I believe you did mention that in your podcast. Yes, yes. And the director, Mauricio, I have to give him credit for having a very good heart about all this. But he's like, you know, if it puts more eyes in front of it, fine. Yeah, Styria, is, Styria is a, a superior title. Well, and it started out as a short, didn't it? Because we it did. screened the short at Horrible Imagine. Oh, no, I screened the film film, the full Stephen Reed film. That was a, that was a full one. Oh, yeah. It went by quick. I thought that was yeah. a short. No, it's a, the full film. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. It's a good film. It's yeah. a good film. Mm -hmm. modern-day vampire story. Uh, we won't go into it here. Listen, no, no, listen no. Listen to Miguel's podcast. Yeah, definitely, especially about the Russian Volga, because I really want that car. But uh, well, Speaking of which, the podcast is now called the Horrible Imaginings Podcast. It, it is. no longer is the Monster Island Resort. Yes, it, the, the, it was very difficult keeping those two brands, so I merged them. <laughs> One enveloped the other. Yes. So now you're in a different venue, and so how did you find it? For, for 2015? Uh, well, no. Oh, are you in a different venue this year? I well? am. Okay, well, let's back up a bit. I'm in venue three this so year. You, so let's go to venue two. You, We, we know of your troubles with 10th Avenue. Yes. Um, and technical. You, technical technical troubles. 
Um, and you moved on to the digital, digital gym. gym. And how did you come across the digital gym? Oh, digital gym was a no brainer because uh, the, when I went to the digital gym, it was the year that it, it opened. So oh, okay. it didn't exist prior to the year that I went there. there you go. And I was already working with them. At that point, <laughs> I was already programming for Latino Film Festival. I'd already worked with Ethan and that group for couple of years at that I think point. I even mentioned to you once or twice saying, why don't you do it here? <laughs> yes, because um, as a film venue, the digital gem is actually quite good. Mm -hmm. Technically speaking, it looks good. It sounds good. The seats are comfortable. It's just really, stadium really... Seating. It is stadium seating. <laughs> yeah. It's just really, really small. Very small venue. 48 seats. Mm -hmm. So I went from a venue that had what I could get to about 20, 125 seats, which I sold out to a venue that was 48 seats. Now, this was a, a soul-searching decision because mm -hmm. I was like, how am I going to do this? And the answer was, I just, I have had to turn people away. Yeah. But it it has worked. Now, that the first year I was there was exhausting, but went well. It was so much better. It was like, oh. That was your longest one, if I'm not mistaken. It was five yeah. days. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. It was a little less, but but uh, actually, no. The thir 2013 was, was the longest one. Oh, yeah, okay. because it included, it included the opera panel. Oh, that's right, because last year was three days. Last year was three days. And the first, okay, for your prior. I decided five, to five, hold back days, a little yeah. bit in 24. That's probably what led to it being a little mm -hmm. bit easier to manage. Because, mm -hmm. yeah, 2013 was the longest one. Yeah. Uh, and included, yeah, there was the, uh, the, it was also somewhat themed. Like, I had the camp day that had we did, um, uh, oh, God. That one killed me because I think it was out of town. Oh, it was so it's like, much oh, fun. Oh, come on. It's killing me. Yeah, that one was so much fun. The camp day was a lot of fun. That was packed because people, people love those campy movies, as we've discussed. Yeah. But uh, I didn't go too heavy into thematics for the rest of the time just because I was just trying to program good yeah. films. This past year I did, and one of the reasons uh, that I like to go with themes is it doesn't help me make it easier because it actually makes it harder. But what it does help me do is think uh, think more about what films I'm showing. Beth Accomando actually helped me realize that the truth of this after we were driving back from the Turner Classic Movies Film Festival because they do themes. And uh, I had a friend who was complaining about the theme, that who cares about the theme, just so good movies. And Beth was saying, yeah, <laughs> uh, Beth was saying, you know what? What they were able to do with the theme is dig deeper into what they're programming. They're, they showed some movies they might not have even deigned to show, and they were great films. And I was like, yeah, that, that's kind of true, and that's kind of what happened with Horrible Imaginings in, in 2014 by going with with sticking to thematics is it allows me to, to discuss films in a deeper way, just kind of by default. And it does make me look at different films in a different way that I might not have looked if I'm just looking for films willy-nilly. Mm -hmm. So I liked that. The nice thing about the digital gym is the intimacy of the venue. And so where are you this year? This year I'm at MOPA. Oh, really? Yes. Moving on up. <laughs> yes, I've got 226 <laughs> seats. Now, do they have a gallery there? They do not. No gallery. <laughs> they do have, have a gallery, but probably not something that they'll let you utilize. Yeah, no, yes, yes. They have their gallery for their stuff. <laughs> right, yeah. I don't feel like shelling out $50,000 or whatever it's going to be to replace whatever they're doing. Here. MOPA, for those of you who don't know, is the Museum of Photographic Arts in Balboa Park in San Diego. Yes. In historic, beautiful downtown San Diego. <laughs> and Horrible Imaginings will be happening right in the middle of the centennial. So that's going to be really nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be pretty interesting. I am quite excited. I've been looking for different venues. I've been looking for expanding because this last year I've 
I had to turn away a lot of people. Mm. Sorry, we're sold out. I think we turned away as, as many or more people than we had seats in the venue to begin wow. with. Wow. So I was like, man, I've just outgrown this thing. I'm also, I've gotten together with a uh, little outfit that's new in San Diego called Bang Zoom Pow, run by Ty Mabry. I don't suppose you could spell that. <laughs> bang Just Zoom Pow. Oh, Bang Zoom Pow. It's, it's, it's like, uh, oh, yeah, okay. it's, it, think of, it's onomatopoeia. Yeah. So. Bang Zoom, Zoom Pow. It's like an old Batman show from 1966, but. Uh, <laughs> Honestly, I thought it was, I thought it was a, a Japanese word. You said it so fast. <laughs> I can't blame you for that. That's, that's very funny. I've partnered with Bang Zoom Pow, and uh, we are giving a. Gosh, I don't. When, are, when is this coming out? Oh, as soon as I can edit it. <laughs> Let's just say expect some interesting things. Okay. Um, not only do we have cool things coming that I am loath to talk about now, but uh, we are going to involve the San Diego film community in a big way that I haven't I I've always had a local filmmaker well, showcase well why don't you talk about them okay and depending on when this is released I can cut it out okay necessary. so I will say this all right um, we're making uh, bang zoom pow has a full chroma key studio with green screen and all this so we're making we're making a trailer and five short films to promote the festival there's well, gonna be released one at a once a month up until the festival it's been a lot of fun but a lot of work and Ty has been pretty instrumental in getting this done, actually. What's Ty's last name? Mabry. Okay. Not only as director of these films, and when he when he showed me his ideas and we talked, I was like, you know, a smart producer would give someone who has these kind of ideas a lot of creative freedom. Mm -hmm. And so I have. He wrote all the scripts. He came up with the overriding ideas and themes. He wrote drew all the darn storyboards, mm -hmm. and they're awesome. And now he has different, uh, like, I'm going to mention Balestra here, uh, which is a cinematography group here in San Diego who are really, really good, um, have been shooting it. And um, also, when they're not available, there's another cinematographer, Ray Gallardo, who also has been shooting it, it's, it's the, the trailer as well as some of these short films. And so there's uh, all of the this media blitz that we're doing with this Fantastic. stuff. Yeah, I'm really, really excited this about it. This is really growing. Yeah. So, thinking future, mm -hmm. I don't know if you think year by year, because it is a lot of work. It is a lot of work. <laughs> I, I'm trying to actually, I'm call, like I'm doing reaching out for sponsorships now, and I'm mm -hmm. calling it the next five years. Okay. So, I'm attempting to look more past this year and, and as a five-year plan. for. Okay. Me. Do you have an ultimate hope or an ultimate goal for Horrible Imaginings? Yes. My ultimate hope and ultimate goal is... I have a couple of different things. The first is obviously to fill the theater, to have quality programming, to have more of the academic bent. So, uh, so like I was saying, uh, more cool panels and presentations. And I do want to have some kind of educational focus. I'm not sure how that looks right now. Mm. And it's, it, it's a really tricky thing to do with this genre. But if I can pull it off, I think it can be really interesting. And I have some things in mind, but uh, until I get them more solidified, that's about all I'll say. All right. And I want to keep submission fees low. Uh, one thing I never, ever want Horrible Imaginings to do is fund itself off the backs of the filmmakers. Okay. It's never been my, my way of doing things. So I'm going to maintain that. 
and the film festival this year, you moved it up. It's be, it's sort September. of the beginning of September. Yeah, September 11th through 13th. Mm-hmm. I actually am liking that now. I was reticent. My ideal was kind of what it's been the last two years, which is early October. Mm-hmm. You know, you're in the month of October. But frankly, there's so much stuff in October. There was a lot of competition, I noticed, the last there's, two there, years. There have been. Um, and there probably, there's always going to be competition of some kind. Mm-hmm. But I, I like this early September idea. And I feel like I'm going back full circle to the first couple of years where it's like we're keeping halloween going now i feel like we're, we're bringing it in yeah we're, we're, <laughs> we're kicking it, it off yeah so i like that i also i also and i'll admit this freely this is going to sound negative but i assure you it's not i'm thrilled about getting it over with earlier in the year <laughs> <laughs> you have more time to recover when the holidays come in actually yeah so, that's precisely and correct you can decompress for star wars Yes, that's true. I can. I can. I have been doing this self-funded now for five years. Um, And that does not... We haven't even touched on all the monthlies that I do. The programming for the festival. Yeah, for the... um... Digital Gym. The Digital Gym and the library, yeah. Yeah, I do Schlockfest. I do Digital Gym stuff. And the Film Geeks. I, I do about between four and six screenings per month. So, it's a lot. So, where are the various places that people can learn about Horrible Imaginings? Probably the best place is just to hit me up on Facebook and Twitter. Okay, so, um, so just look for Horrible Imaginings in the search bar? Yeah, yeah, or Miguel Rodriguez. So, if you're going to find me personally, Miguel Rodriguez on Facebook. Uh, on Facebook, it's also Horrible Imaginings. So, it's just facebook.com slash Horrible Imaginings. Um, on Twitter, it's the acronym HIFFSD, or Horrible Imaginings Film Festival San Diego, but I guess it's going to have to be HIIFFSD. <laughs> if I have my way. If you have your way with international, <laughs> which actually I think you said from year two, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, could you, you know, I'm watching films in Spanish yeah. and in German and in French. I'm like, dude, this is international. Yeah, God. it is. It is. I'm really proud of that. And it's great because I actually have, you know, these, these uh, filmmakers all over the world now who know me. So for one of a better word, what's the most obscure language you've screened a movie in? Probably Arabic. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah. Interesting. And the website is horribleimaginings.com? It's actually High Film Fest. HIFilmfest.com. Oh, yeah, right. make it a little easier for you guys. <laughs> Imaginings can be tricky to spell. To spell. It's I, I, I misspelled it in my notes, actually. I'm yeah. like, what is Imaginings? <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thank you, Miguel, for stopping by and for doing this podcast. Thank you. It's a lot of fun. To attending this year again, I hope. Yeah, I'm going to give Film Out a shout-out because Film Out is an awesome film festival, and they've always been super supportive of us. As well as the Digital Gym. As well as the Digital Gym. Which is part of the Media Arts Center and Mm -hmm. Falcone Boulevard in San Diego. All right, and with that, I'm going to wrap it up. Thank you again, Miguel. Thank you. You've got a lot of editing. Sorry. I do have a lot of editing. Hey, you know, it's my own fault. I won't shut the hell up either.